Hello, everyone. Welcome back for another week of Growing With My Fellow Growers. I'm your host, Jack Greenstock, joined, as always, by an amazing panel. And I'm going to pass it first to Spartan Grown. Thanks, Jack. Hello, everybody. I'm Spartan Grown. You can find me on Instagram at Spartan Grown, all one word, no spaces. And if you don't use social media or Instagram, you can shoot me an email at SpartanGrown at gmail.com. And that way you can for sure get a hold of me. I'll help you with all of your cannabis growing questions. Always happy to have you back. And next up, we got Dr. MJ. Hey, guys. Yeah, I'm Dr. MJ Coco from CocoForCannabis.com. I'm still getting kind of settled in and getting my stuff together here, getting my YouTube video loaded up so I can chat with you guys in the YouTube chat. But uh, happy to be here. and look forward to a Q&A show. Likewise, happy to have you back. Next up, we've got Brandon Rust. What's going on, everybody? Happy to be here. You can check me out at Russop Brandon on IG. And of course, you can check the website out, bokashieearthworks.com. Always happy to have you as well. And uh, next up, we've got Matthew Gates. Welcome back, Matthew. Yeah. Hey, everyone. This is Matthew Gates, IPM specialist. So, uh, yeah, if you have any questions, I actually had somebody reach out. Um, uh, on Discord, who is curious if I'd be back today, and I, and I am, and so maybe they'll be here to ask some questions that they have about biocontrols. But if you have some, drop them in the chat for sure, and other IPM questions. I was just pinning the message uh, from the Cheap Home Grow YouTube account, just letting everyone know to tag us with questions, so that way we can see them and uh, copy them over to the YouTube a little bit more, or Zoom chat a little more easily and get them answered on the YouTube. And last and certainly not least, so the panelist who's with us currently, I'm going to pass it to Noah the Grower. How's it going, everybody? Uh, sorry, I've had a little bit of a hectic schedule last month, but uh, I'm here. And uh, yeah, I'm Noah the Grower with two E's. You can find me there. I just did a post on my Instagram page and uh, happy to be here. I saw that earlier. It's looking fire as per usual. Happy to have you back. Hope everything is going well for people out there. Uh, for those who are wondering, it is actually my birthday today, the 1st of October. So uh, a little exciting. Lady Greenstock's got some things prepared for me. I don't normally celebrate. I actually just worked all day. Uh, so I don't, you know, as an adult, I feel like many don't do too much for their birthday. Some still celebrate it for the day or the whole week or the month. Who knows? But uh, with that said, we hope going here in a little bit and uh, just say cheers to everybody in the chat hope you all are doing well and uh yeah matthew uh you've been traveling a little bit lately how has that been going well i'm done with it uh but i was in uh i was in london uh my my uh itinerary changed from last time i spoke but uh basically i went to london uh, in the UK, and I went to um, the Netherlands. I went to Rotterdam, and then I went to Amsterdam. And I did try uh, some Amsterdam cannabis. It was okay. It was it was adequate. Sample size one, though. So what do I know? You know, I want to be clear about that. But it was okay. Although I did have a funny uh, interaction with somebody while looking for directions uh, in Russell Square. Um, asked a guy who was smoking down a joint that so where do you get some of that? And he says, Oh, well, I get that from my plug. It's not, it's apparently according to them, it's not legal. It's just decriminalized. So if you can't, you know, you're not criminalized if you are found with it, but you're not supposed to sell it. But regardless, they said that they got a plug in California. And I was like, well, I'm from California. 
he thought that was pretty funny. Uh, but yeah, that, that, that was quite humorous. Fun. Yeah. For yeah. them, that's really exotic. Uh, They're like, oh, it's from California. We'll sell it to yeah. you for $300 for a, an eighth or something. You know, it's like crazy what these repackaged or, or even with the original packaging from California, yeah. the eighth might go for 50 or 60 here, but then it goes for literally 150 to 200 overseas. So people really are Probably trying so. to get that label sometimes. Yeah. And, um, and then so I was able to visit uh, Wageningen University in the Netherlands, which was really cool. Um, but uh, yeah, most most of it uh, was in those two places, London and mostly Rotterdam and Amsterdam uh, a little bit. Got to see, there's two cannabis museums there. I went to both of them. Um, and, uh, you know, I was, I was, I was happy with how, um, I thought it would be, I thought it might be a little bit kitschy, you know, a little bit, um, you know, uh, cartoonish and kind of uh, immature. But um, at least one of them uh, was not, uh, was a lot less than that. But then the other one was, the first one I went to, um, was pretty, it was pretty cool. They had some, it was really well produced and they had a lot of examples. I took a bunch of pictures, probably put them up on my Instagram at Sync Angel for anyone uh, curious. Um, but they talked about the benefits, you know, in a health uh, manner. They had a video going of, of a man suffering from Tourette's. I think most of us, maybe several of us have on the panel have seen this in the chat too, where this guy is trying to do things uh, with their um, their uh, system being what it is. But then once they smoke the joint, um, it's like they're, uh, they're it's severely inhibited. Uh, it was like, you know, I've seen the video before, but uh, it was like magic. And I could see how that would be a super convincing um, uh, sort of little observational piece. Anyways, I want to bogart the conversation. Those anecdotes are definitely powerful. I've seen similar with like seizures and CBD where people will either like topically apply it on like the feet with like a roll on. Where do you go from like completely shaking to uh, still and able to, you know, talk and recover in a matter of, you know, under a minute sometimes. And it is, uh, yes. those examples are extremely powerful. And, you know, I'm, I'm thankful that we're able to document that and get that out to the community because uh, many people, I think, underestimate they say, oh yeah, it's medicine because like, that's the way that it got legalized. And I think a lot of people feel like that was like a, a loophole that we were able to sneak it yeah. in, allow this, you know, adult use product or this recreational product to become a medical thing. But really a lot of people, myself and others, uh, like with arthritis or other uh, lesser, you know, conditions that are not as visible as those examples, uh, really benefit as well. I do want to take a second to welcome in the American one who just joined us. Oh, my, I'm muted. I'm not, I mean, I'm not muted. All right. Uh, sorry. Yeah. It took me a second to get uh, logged in because I got my new iPad back where, yeah, I got it fixed, whatever. But yeah, I am the American one on YouTube and the American one underscore with underscore Keens on the IG. And you guys could hit me up on the IG. It's the easiest, most effective way to get in touch with me, even though I'm behind on looking at all my messages right now. And I apologize. So uh, that being said, I'm glad to be here and it's good to see everyone. And I'll be in chat momentarily to say hello to everyone. Excellent. We're happy to have you back. And uh, yeah, I think um, I had one more thought on Matthew's comments, but it has drifted away from me. So uh, we'll the just, museum. Uh, 
quality. Oh yeah, I, it, was, it was actually unrelated. Just uh, I have a friend in Amsterdam who works for Heineken, and I'll be going there in the next year or two to visit them. So hopefully, uh, we'll be able to find some good cannabis while there. That we are there and have a little bit more than the sample size of one. I know that there's a lot of like coffee shops that sell it, but it's like you said, kind of a quasi legal situation because it's decriminalized, not legalized. And no, that's in the UK. In Amsterdam, oh, okay. it's different. In the Netherlands, it's different. Um, and uh, but yeah, you're not supposed to smoke. There are a bunch of signs for us foreigners to know, hey, uh, you know, don't smoke. You got to smoke in a lounge. Um, don't just publicly smoke. And um, but, you know, I, I, didn't, I didn't really care about that. But, uh, you know, not trying to advocate for breaking the law, breaking the law. Breaking the law. And yeah, I think I think it was a good, a very good experience. Um, I really liked the Netherlands, uh, but I suspected I would from what I read about it. And yeah, oh, and uh, PSA, don't uh, don't call it Holland. Uh, other parts, other provinces in uh, the Netherlands don't really like that. Uh, in case anyone didn't know that, I knew that going in. But um, I know a lot of cultures, a lot of languages call it like Hollandia or some sort of variant of that. Um, but yeah, there's there's more. It's like if you refer to all of USA as like I don't know, Texasstan or California, you know, California. <laughs> California, India, you know. So, anyways, that's my uh, diatribe. We're certainly not the best at uh, geography issues here in the U.S. I, I know a lot of people get confused about a lot of the different stands, or even just like Ireland and the United Kingdom, and like you know how it's all broken up, like what is actually what. And I, I don't know. Some of those people, a lot of people are patriotic and want different definitions of uh, who controls what, but. Yeah, it's uh, interesting. And I think that it's one of the things that we're not super informed about. I've seen like videos where they interview people from America on the street, like, hey, put a pin in, you know, Turkestan or whatever. And they just like put it in Africa or something, you know, it's like way off. Oh, but, yeah, seriously. Yeah. <laughs> but most of those yeah. street videos, I think they just highlight the worst answers and most comical ones. So if you walk up to 100 people, you'll probably get a few silly ones. But that being said, it didn't seem like they were trying too hard to find people that were very ill-informed uh but yeah it maybe it doesn't impact too many people on the day-to-day -day. so anybody got anything exciting in their garden going on i know i've just got my sex test sent out for spartan groans uh vortex f2 project v's so those will be coming back this week so by next show i'll know which ones are male and female so looking forward to that i'll go actually... live maybe like an hour or so when lights come on in my room just you know for a few minutes show everybody what i got going on Nice. And I think if you're curious, I had mine tested at Farmer Freeman, who was just on Smot Poker's YouTube channel for an interview today. So uh, if you haven't already checked that out, check out Smot Poker on YouTube and uh, Farmer Freeman, EZXY, they do sex testing. And I think they're also doing uh, like viroid testing and things now too. So cool stuff. Yeah, we just tested ours uh, at the Tricom Forge and we had 31 of 31 total tested and 11 came back male. So we had 20 females that we finished up with. Solid ratio? Yeah, we're going to do, we have four lights in the flower room, so that'll be five per, per light. That'll be pretty nice. Get them to fit. And what are you uh, running this go-around? Spartan, Spartan Puke? Puke. Yep. That's going to be Spartan Puke, so we're excited to find one out of there. Um, we have, I think it's the, is it the next run or the one behind that? We have actual Donnie Burger seeds that we're going to pop and run through those too after that. 
Um, I'm excited for that too. So we have a lot of GMO heavy stuff. Sounds good. I've got like five Donnie Burger left that I'll probably pop again at some point and try and find a better Fino. My first Fino just didn't match up to my buddies. Uh, I'll be the first to admit when somebody else's shit is better than mine, I'm not going to keep the cut because, <laughs> you know, if they're keeping it and growing it, then I'm just going to go with theirs because like theirs was a 10 out of 10 and mine was like an eight and a half out of 10. So I was like, this is pretty, uh, it was good. You know, I'll still take an eight and a half out of 10, but I I'll admit when uh, somebody else can bring better shit to the table than me, or maybe they just got a better Fino, but right that's what we're doing there's... we're just you know hunting it's i don't know if we'll ever stop we got our first batch of the triple burger the first harvest that came down and for really processed a couple plants of that um that was a nice return on that so so we're not too upset with it um uh, i have some actually right here i'm not even sure what pheno this is but it came out like it's not it's kind of hard to show because it's not sauce nice light color what kind of smells are you getting somehow got mute muted that's very gmo-y um i feel like that the um i feel like that the uh the the turps are slightly muted on it but the high is really good on it <laughs> so i love it i love it as a dab it's like a, a body high in the head it's like that numb head feeling pretty nice i feel like gmo can be like that a little bit running it super long like i just saw somebody take it to 84 days i see some take it to 78 days it's a really long finisher and i think maybe some of the terps cook off but you get a lot of other like cannabinoids and flavonoids and esters and aldehydes and all sorts of shit that might not be there earlier on in flower but uh it's i feel like gmo crosses are usually funkier than the actual gmo that i come across I haven't grown GMO myself yet though. And uh, so that's coming from a market that is typically tends to disappoint. So the crosses are usually stuff that I've grown or buddies have grown. So it might not be a fair comparison. GMO is a good one, man. It's been a, been a staple out here in Michigan anyway. It's been in the commercial market for a while. It's kind of died off a little bit, but it's still there. It's still hanging out. It's potent and it makes great concentrate. I love mm -hmm. the uh, concentrate that comes from it for sure. And it, and the Although, longer flowering time rewards you with more yield if you're willing to wait for it. That's a good point. I think a lot of them are like that. Like a lot of people will take stuff at week eight and it might be a nine weeker. And if they push it nine weeks, it'll be heavier yield and maybe even a little bit more potent. And some stuff you can let ride that extra, you know, go the full 10 and uh, might yield even that a little bit more. It definitely starts pumping up a lot at the very end that is a little bit harder to notice on some strains. Yeah, and in a commercial sense, if that's really a sort of, you know, going to be 10% more yield, if, if it's worth waiting, you know, 10% more time for, basically. Oftentimes, I, I still think it is, though, Jack. Yeah, it's a, it definitely yeah, a agree. fine balance. You don't see enough GMO being run properly to that 11-plus week mark. I, I see people taking it 10 and a half weeks here in California, and even earlier, oftentimes, like nine, uh, which it's just not a plant that's ready at nine weeks. So it doesn't yeah. shine. Jack Greenstalk, happy birthday, by the way. I failed to uh, get you right on the intro, but I was reminded. Uh... Thank you very much, Tal. I've been uh, taking your advice and aging in reverse, actually. Benjamin Button style, just uh, eating lots and lots of uh, cannabis edibles. I, I don't understand why people do it the other way. Yeah. I know, right? Crazy enough. Twisted. 
I feel a lot healthier at my current age than I did one year before. And that's just by, uh, you know, taking my health a little bit more into my own hands, eating a little healthier, avoiding the fast food, avoiding the processed food, and just consuming a lot more of the healthy stuff that I know I should have been doing. I was already active and exercising, but I lost 17 pounds over the last 12 weeks and uh, wow, feeling a lot better. I was like just on the, I know BMI is not perfect, especially for people that have like muscle mass, but I was like one pound into the overweight category. And now I'm like well into the normal or like healthy range. So I can actually feel it though. Like less inflammation, less pain. I'm sleeping better. Like not having fucking random night sweats and shit. That was one thing I wanted to say. I walked more probably since like military school. Have I walked as much as I did in in Europe? I can see why people... Uh, don't get don't get obese as much as much, um, and I think the food is a little less processed because, like, I, I swear, like uh, some of the stuff you eat also, over there. At least in London, a little bit less tasty. Oh, I went to a I went to a like a sports bar, and um, they had an American burger. So of course, being the connoisseur that I am of the burger, I asked you know to have that, and uh, what a what a terrible disappointment! It was like something <laughs> out of a it was something out of like a um, like a high school, like a uh, kitchen, you know, like, like you get, free, yeah, the cafeteria. Yeah. It was like a free kid lunch cafeteria burger. It's like um, getting Taco Bell and thinking that it's like quote, quote, Mexican food, you know, like exactly. it's going to be a, a letdown for anybody who's actually like been to Mexico and had Mexican food. Yeah. There were good burgers. They gave there, you was a white castle burger. Yeah. That's ba- I mean, even that would have been in some ways better, I think. Really? But yeah, um, I fucking love white castle. See me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, but, I um, can't eat them. I probably, I probably walked, I probably walked like a total of like, I want to say, like something egregious, like thirty or twenty-five kilometers, or however that comes back in uh, miles. Just you know, the whole trip, the whole trip. Um, yeah, so I mean, that's another thing is that I really like that. And I had injured my knee uh, about two years ago, a very kind of minorly, but uh, it still didn't feel the same. I think some people might know what I'm talking about. Just like you might be you might have pretty much full range, but there's still like a thing, a feeling, a difference uh, from my right. But anyway, like a weakness um, or a tightness or a pain. Well, I still have uh, I still have some bursa. So it's probably a little bit of tightness. Yeah. Uh, but not really painful. Um, but uh, one thing I remembered is that of course sandals are not very good for your, uh, for your feet. Um, but you know, switching to the admittedly not really great shoes that I was wearing. Um, and then also just walking a ton and having no pain confirmed for me, like that I'm probably fine, which for a while, you know, was a little niggling thought in the back of my head, you know, Oh, you know, is it, are you, is it going to get worse? You know, you hear all these stories. I, I'm I'm inundated with stories of that with a lot of people. But um, yeah, so that was exciting. That was a really confidence boosting uh, trip in that way as well. Sounds like it was a great time. Anytime I've only been over to Europe once and I did uh, Italy for like a week and a few days in Slovenia and Croatia and just had a blast. But like yourself, I did a ton of walking. I was literally backpacking and carrying it from place to place oftentimes and uh you know getting it i think like my goal for my phone app says like ten thousand steps a day or something like that and i hit that most days here but 
over there it was like you know 15 20 thousand easy just and you're like walking on like cobblestone streets and stuff sometimes and so it's just a, a lot more uh movement across like a lot less uh paved sidewalk and more kind of just open terrain and things like that but it, it's a lot of fun and i think it's great for everybody's health to get out move around and see the world a little bit if you can uh, i know it's not accessible for a lot of reasons for a lot of people so uh, if anybody has the ability to do it i definitely highly suggest it uh even if it comes at a kind of a great cost like it did to myself and many others so um that said we're thankful that you're back with us now and uh we've got you on the show i did just hold up a little uh something this was from lady greenstock these are like candle but they're joints it's for like uh birthday cakes but it's got a little cute. thing that it sets into and it's like uh everybody always gets all freaked out whenever they start seeing colors it's like one of those uh safe inks or whatever but uh oh yeah i also get a little weirded out when i start seeing colored uh anything with a paper but on I my birthday once a year I'll, I'll make the exception and uh go away from the natural raw or whatever uh organic papers i uh you know i i'm uh gonna plant some uh not cannabis plants but other plants in a, in a friend's garden and uh, i could share about that unless I want to, you know, unless other people have topics. I haven't seen any questions come through yet. I've seen a lot of happy birthdays and thank you very yeah, much, Chad, I was looking for, those too, yeah. for all the uh, birthday wishes and uh, cheers to all of you. Thank you so much for being here. Always a pleasure. We've got 70 and climbing rapidly up to the hundreds as it usually is. And uh, great to see all you dog pounds, creative, uh, many others. Uh, Terpsimp. Yeah. Spartan grown even in there saying hello to the good people of the chat yeah terpsimp yeah. had the question that reached out to me about uh, biocontrols and and their use especially in, in, in a tent where it might feel like overkill or or whatever so yeah you should ask that question again they had a good question exactly. last week too that we answered um good good on you terpsimp for asking good questions informing yeah. yourself and the community that's right maybe uh maybe brandon will appreciate oh keep going sorry I talk to people about that quite a bit, Matthew. They sort of push back on like, I'm just growing in a tent. Like that's not suitable for me to introduce, you know, biocontrols in a tent. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I'd appreciate sort of hearing you push back a little bit on that as well. Yeah, by the way, I think, uh, can everyone agree? I think his mic is a little low. I had to put my speakers up. Maybe I'm- uh... I agree. Okay. Yeah. It's for doc or for for doc for doc okay that makes sense because he was saying right before the show that he had to run and grab it from another room so it was just like a last second plug-in and just but making sure that it was still working great right? it's like this one yeah it seems to be that one yeah um but uh yeah i have some seeds that i've actually carried for a long while and uh yeah guys in the chat give us some questions there we go we have a couple coming in um we got some lemongrass from seed. That'll be interesting to experiment with. Some um, some moth beans from India, which if you've never had them like me, uh, I can't say anything about them because I never had them. But apparently they're really uh, drought drought resistant, so that's kind of neat. Got some squash. These are all in uh, falcon tubes. <laughs> Normally drought resistant uh, so, would be great for San Diego County, but this year yeah. they'd be fucked because we've gotten rain pretty much. Oh my god! Yeah. Did you guys talk about that last couple of weeks? I feel like maybe you did. Yeah, because the the grape situation and other crops just got mollywopped by the rain. Oh, what we should bring up, Matthew, is the uh, grasshoppers. I think in Colorado, you oh, made yeah. a post about they're just wiping out crops right now. 
Yes, yeah, I saw an question. article about that and I posted. Um, yeah, grasshoppers, man. I get questions about them sometimes. Uh, not, not the biggest pest I get asked about, but yeah, it does seem like people are really getting hit hard in uh, Central North America and uh, sort of Southwestern America too. So like California, Arizona, places like that. Uh, it's Bavaria. It's, it's, hmm? I think I remember or I saw on your post is Bavaria Bassiana, one of the things that's used to fight grasshoppers. And what are some of the other kind of quick and dirty suggestions for uh, people that might be trying to prevent something like that from happening to their farm? Yeah, I'll start with like uh, I guess I'll start with like preventive stuff, so that if you you know if you had the foresight or are able to do something before you get a problem, um, so perhaps next season, start with those ones first. Uh, basically, you know, it's tough because usually this is a problem for field grown, right? And uh, you're not going to probably, you don't have the manpower and just logistical uh, fortitude to be able to like net all of your plants or something outrageous like that and then undo it and all that stuff. But if you're growing smaller and it's the cheap home grow podcast, um, I think that that's way more within your abilities and definitely worth it. If you're in a place where like, the grasshoppers get aggressive and problematic, then I think it's, it's probably worth the money to like net them over. Or even if you had like a place to retreat them to, um, you know, like a tent or something, uh, you know, that's probably worth it. Probably worth it to give it a little, a little bit of defense. That's the cheap and easy way to do that is just create a structure, which obviously, you know, people already do in greenhouses and things like this. Uh, so some sort of physical barrier, but yeah. Biocontrols, there's a lot of interesting ones. There's a Nosema locusti, um, which is a like kind of like a fungus, it's a type of fungus, it's a microsporidian that is used in um, several products. But I guess the I learned that the manufacturer for the product that everyone used, which I'm, it's escaping my head at the moment, it burned down. So no more of that, unfortunately, for a while. That sucks. Like the and factory then, that produced it? Yeah. That's a bummer. That is a big bummer. Yeah. Um, and so, so Buveri Bassiana works, Metarhesium, which is another fungus, very similar works. Um, yeah. So, in fact, the one that a lot of people are familiar with, the isolate, uh, GHA, which is in like Botanic Garden and a bunch of other Buveri Bassiana products. GHA stands for Grasshopper Active. It was originally developed for grasshoppers, but it works against a bunch of other insects and um, and I think primarily is not used against grasshoppers just because the other ones are more, more pertinent threats or more common at the very least. But yeah, that's like, that's why it was uh, developed originally. And, it, and it's really good because it's a soil fungus so for those who don't know, grasshoppers, their life cycle goes, female deposit eggs in the soil, um, eventually they hatch, then you have little nymphs, and most of the, most of the, um, most of the problematic grasshoppers people deal with are in a group called uh, the short-horned grasshoppers, uh, so named because they have short antennae, and so they're like, they start really small, and then they get larger and larger and larger. Uh, one person recently showed me a lubber, like a large, like lubber grasshopper. If you've ever seen those, they're kind of armored and, and hulked. 
um i don't think those ones are as much of a problem as these like so-called like bird or short-horned grasshoppers that i'm sure you've seen a lot jack in um here in san diego they're super common they're probably the ones that you're seeing uh if you see them um at all in north america at least yeah and they get bigger and bigger and bigger and they swarm uh not so much like the like the capital l locusts that people think of in like africa for example um but yeah and and you have this problem where if they aggregate they you know move into this like swarming behavior but they have like a a um, sort of individualistic behavior as well where they don't swarm so not every year or every season or every time in the season are you going to encounter this like swarming problem so pay attention to like local news that's a big part of IPM I think that is underappreciated is like obviously you want to know how to deal with them and what you can do to prevent them but a big part of it is like intel and like being aware and that's going to change season to season so have a good source for that info whether it's me or somebody else probably really importantly somebody local like an agricultural extension agent would be a really great idea to pay attention to and usually that info is like free because it's literally their job that uh agricultural (laughs) prosperity doesn't uh get decimated by things like this so they've usually got their ear to the ground Great advice for sure. And we've got a stockpile of questions now loaded up. So thank you to the chat and thank you to Matthew for giving us that update and information about the grasshoppers. It is something that you may have been seeing going around the community. Uh, Jesse Pauly asks, how high should I have my lights? I'm a long time listener, first time in chat, was told to lower it to the point where some bleach. Um, So my initial impression is no, if it's bleaching, that's damage to the plant. And even signs before that would show that there's probably too much light like some leaf tacoing or like the leaves folding up or folding down away from the light sometimes doc is sort of our resident light guy so i'll pass it to him first and then the rest of the panel can jump in and throw in their thoughts there yeah so he's tested one of the light or he's using one of the lights that i tested so um that's one of the reasons that i test them is to sort of figure out what's the the minimum safe hanging height and that's where i test lights um, so I tested that one at 13 inches and, and you really wouldn't want to be closer than that. Um, there's an argument to be made for being a little bit higher than that because you get better distribution with a little bit higher hanging height. Um, but the higher you raise it, you lose a little bit of light to reflection. So you kind of don't want to raise it too high and there's always this balance, but Absolutely, Jack. If you're getting bleaching, you're way past the point of sort of what would be optimal lighting. Um, and you've actually started to do damage to your plants. You're, you're giving them so much light. So I said this before, but you want to give your plants, you know, without raising the level of carbon dioxide, you want to be somewhere between 500 and 1000 micromoles. That's what you're looking for in a PAR map. You don't really want to set up your light in such a way that you'd have more than a thousand micromoles. That ends up creating light toxicity issues for most gardens, um, you know, unless you're playing around with CO2, which I don't generally recommend. And I don't think that this grower is. So somewhere between 500 and a thousand with that light that he's running, you're certainly going to get a really good distribution of light at 13 to 16 inches. Um, there's no reason to run it closer than that. You're not actually getting more light by running your lights closer. And you're not actually getting a lot less light by running them further away. 
in a grow tent, you're basically just concentrating the light in the center when you run it really close or right under the bars and, and you know, wherever the lights are, um, or you're allowing it to be really nicely, evenly spread out. So the closer you get it, you're concentrating the light. You're, and because it's concentrated in some places, it's necessarily going to be, you know, unconcentrated or, or less concentrated in, in other places. Um, and that's not the key to growth. So I think a lot of growers get this idea that, you know, I need to, if I have it too high, I'm going to like be losing light. Um, that's what the reflective walls are for. Um, you do lose a little because you lose a little light when it reflects, but it's not like lost altogether. You're just losing a little bit from that reflection. Um, so yeah, that, I, that's, that's my take on that. Um, and that's what I think how looking at par maps can really help you figure out how to set up a light and whether a light's going to be a good sort of, you know, distribution of light in your garden. Um, what's the par map look like? Are there any values that are sort of higher than I would want my plants not to be exposed to? Um, does it get good density still out into the corners? And am I, you know, do I have enough height? Like you don't want to have to run your light at like, you know, 36 inches above your plants or something, because if you're growing in a tent, you're not going to have a lot of room to do that. Um, you don't need a sensor, it, it, especially not if you have a light that I've tested, you can follow sort of the, the par test results are a, a really a more accurate way to know how much light you're getting at different parts of your garden than trying to position your own sensor. Um, so that's what I would recommend doing. I yeah, 100% agree with Dr. Coco, but the only other thing I would add, I'd like to add is, is that um, not only is it not re recommended, but there, there's negative effects. That white bleaching is a sign, a red flag that you've gone too far. You've already, you've already done some damage to your plant. You've already done some things that are going to be negative effect to at least the top part of your canopy. So it, it really is bad advice to, to, to use that as a, as a way to gauge your lights and it's better to do like what Doc said recommended. Yeah, most growers aren't going to experience real bud bleaching unless that those spots are getting closer to 2000 PPFD on a consistent basis. So we're, I'm recommending like 1000 is really the limit for optimizing your growth. Like, yeah, you're getting like twice that if you're actually seeing that kind of damage. I usually see it when it's unintentional, like they had too much of a bolt and they are calling it the stretch because they veg for a little bit too long and maybe they're in cocoa or another fast growing medium that is the plants is growing like crazy, like multiple inches per day. They didn't account for it. Now the plant's a little bit too close to the light and it gets bleached. Um, so it happens. I mean, I, I've had it happen in my own garden when I used to have too large of a light. And yeah. um, one thing I wanted to agree with Doc on is let's say 13 inches is like the optimal height where you're going to get a thousand in the center, but then like the outsides might be 500, right? Uh, if you, like you were saying, you're in a grow tent, most likely. I think you might have already confirmed that. But you move it from 13 inches to 16 inches. And instead of it being 1,000 in the center and 500 in the corners, it might be 800 in the center and like 700 across all the corners. And it's just a more even distribution. And plants actually tend to be uh, really happy in my experience, a little bit less than that 1,000 mark, that you know, seven, eight, 900 range versus being at that 1,000 point. The nug that's at the 1,000 point, unless I've really got everything dialed in and like my CO2 is up, then that one almost is never like the best looking. It might yield well, but 
I don't know. I think uh, it, it's really pushing where in that seven to 900 range or even like down to the 500, it can still perform. Uh, it can still yield well, but it's not going to be having the issues like light bleaching. He's saying that's around 2000. Um, even like the other stuff that you'll see at like 15 to 1700 or 1900, you're going to like start to see the leaves folding in on themselves. Not because it's like got so much resin, like that, you know, nice leaf taco that you see on like Noah and many other, other guys on this panel's buds when they're late in flower in a nice, healthy environment. But from just heat, heat stress uh, is stuff that you definitely don't want to uh, have to deal with. So I or, or think- from light aversion techniques or photo, um, photo aversion. So they'll change the angle of the leaf just like, you know, you might want to not be like laying down in the sun like this. You'll kind of like stand up. So you're casting a smaller shadow. So you're taking less sun. Um, plants will do that as they're starting to get too much light, those photo protection responses. So yeah, absolutely, Jack, they're, they're trying to avoid getting that toxic dose of light that you're delivering to them. Dr. Brandon, Kimbrough, if you can still remember that light, um, he asked the follow-up, is that light sufficient? Do you remember like the footprint that's sufficient for? Yeah, he's in a, he's got a 4,800 in a four by four and it's really, it's sort of well-suited for that space. So it, it's a perfect light setup for him. Um, those bar fixtures, if you get a good bar fixture in the right size space, um, you, you can get really good distributions of light. So, and you can run pretty close to the canopy, which is really the advantage of this in the first place. You know, when Fluence came out with the spider, that's really what was revolutionary about it is you could hang it only six inches from the plants. And that allowed sort of much tighter, especially in a vertical farming sense where you're trying to do two or three levels of vertical plants to have that, that you know, shorter distance between light and canopy um, to allow lower overspill losses sort of out the side because you're running it sort of really close to the canopy there um, and still have good distribution. So that was sort of the original you know, design idea of creating lights like this, coming away from sort of the single point source lights like the HPS bulbs or even the cobs in um, LEDs, which were basically, you know, one source point and you'd have to hang it pretty high above the the plants. Um, yeah, the cob was like people, I think, went to that because they liked the HPS and they liked the one intense point. There was even like, I can't remember what they're called, like the pirate or the cannon or something like that. It was this big black huge cob it was literally looked like a little black barrel the heat sink was a massive thing and it just was like a massive cob and it just busted out a bunch of light from one location and yeah. i think that the sort of proof is in the pudding and, and how things have evolved every single grow light has gone to the bar like i got mine from timber grow lights they used to be a bunch of like cobs that were set up in like a array like mine is two cobs on a little sort of a metal rig but they're spread out or whatever, trying to make it more even. But if you just took, if you look at the cob, there's a, like probably a hundred plus little diodes within that circle. Right. And so instead of having them all in one point, which is more difficult to cool as well as more difficult to spread the light, uh, they just spread them out across the bar. And yeah. I think like boards, you know, where HLG was kind of early on getting the spread out, but fluence and going to that bar where it, it saves some money on the manufacturing side of things with less metals uh, because you have the the gaps that don't have LEDs on them, don't need to be there essentially if you space the bars properly and pack the diodes properly. So um, pretty much everybody's moved that form factor of you know 
a bunch of bars with a bunch of diodes spread out as evenly as you can get them with, you know, a pretty wide array of different colors, but mainly, you know, that base white with some reds and a little bit of blues, maybe. I've even seen some people throwing greens in there to get fancy, but the majority of it is just a bunch of white LED light. White LED you know, light with, with crank reds high efficiency. Yeah, because the, the white LEDs always are going to be stronger in the blue. So they're always going to have that strong signature in the blue and taper off towards the red. And to kind of better match the McCree curve, we want to also pump up that red. So we use dedicated 660 nanometer diodes, 660 nanometers, really efficient diode. So it's helpful to, to pair them with the full spectrum diodes to create a good spectrum for growing. Um, yeah, so it, my big point here is you're not gaining anything by running your lights closer. You're certainly not gaining anything from trying to get bleaching on your buds. Um, the one thing you said, Jack, that I'd like to just build on is sometimes that happens. Like sometimes you're in a tent, your plants grow too much and they're getting too close to the light. And you've, you're faced with this sort of awful choice of, you know, either letting the plant get sort of burned by the light or lowering the light, like dimming the light. Um, and in those cases, I mean, that's the case that I end up seeing bleaching because I often recommend we'll just let that be sort of the sacrificial bud to the overall goal of, of maximizing harvest size. Because if you start dimming, you're going to lower your harvest size. So like if you end up with bleached buds, I mean, sometimes even good growers that happens to, but it's not something that it's not a diagnostic step. Yeah. Don't make it your SLP or yeah. your game plan. And I've unfortunately actually heard like a grower I know and respect. He's a great breeder, uh, recommend something similar on the side with like EC. And these things are like things that can be overcome with a meter. But in this case, a free YouTube video, watch a video of somebody else reviewing your thing, figure out how high to hang it. Like Rasta Jeff, shout out to him. I love Grow From Your Heart podcast. I love iReGenetics. I recommend a lot of people buy and, and grow his stuff. He's awesome. But he'll say in Cocoa that he pushes his plants and that he likes to give like a high EC and to the point that they'll get like yellow uh, tips and he calls it like painting the fingertips and once he gets to that point then he'll dial it back to see how much they can take and how much they can handle but i'm sort of more on the side of like going with giving them as little as they need to go essentially or just providing enough for them to get by and, and thrive like i've recommended docs schedule to a lot of people which is about i think 1.5 ec and that tends to work oh, for a yeah. lot of plants at the high end. So you don't need to go over that. And a lot of people are like, when they're coming to me, they have issues. And it's because I'll ask them what's their EC. They either don't know, or it's like 2.5 or 3 or 3.5. I'm like, let's get that down to 1, 1.5 and see how the plants end up responding. And they always get happier. And so they're saving money on nutrient input costs, as well as uh, just, you know, keeping the plants happy and healthy. Like it, it makes their life a lot easier if they know the proper range and then they can just set it there and then they never have issues again for the most part as long as they you know do the things that they're supposed to do it's a pretty tried and true system but a lot of people i think do like to um go with almost like the i'm not going to use tools approach i'm going to farm it like a farmer i'm going to watch the plant so i'll let the few buds bleach to you know know that at least they got as high as it needs and i'm not going to underdo it but i think it's sort of counterproductive when there are resources out there like test videos that show you the exact measurement of right. light or in the case of like the ec thing like 
I was, I'm guilty of this. I was a cocoa grower. It was more because I was really, really broke at the time. Like I didn't buy the meter and I should have just invested that, I don't know, 20, 30 bucks. I thought that I needed like the blue lab, $75 pen, but I hadn't read at the time doc's guides that you could find like an Amazon one. Cause I don't know, 15 to 30 bucks or something like that. That'll work and get the job done and be effective more so than just like, I'm going to feed, feed water because I don't want to overdo my nutrients. It's like how I was doing it because I was overdoing nutrients if I would go feed, 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 just like the schedule said, or even if I did a quarter of the nutrients or a third of the nutrients or half the nutrients or whatever it was, like I tried a whole bunch of different stuff, but ultimately it's better just to have the meter. So then, you know, the actual number in and out. And even if it's like a little off, even if your meter is not perfect, at least you've got something versus just like kind of shot in the dark. Yeah, I, I really agree. I really agree. Um, you know, it's never really about pushing things. We want to keep things in balance. Like we're trying to grow living organisms here. So like, you know, sometimes they do need a little bit more. They'll do better with a little bit more of, of one thing or another. But, you know, just sort of recklessly pushing EC or recklessly pushing PPFD for that matter um thinking that you know i'm going to keep pushing on this it's like well what else and, and are you thinking about keeping the rest of the things that the plant needs kind of in balance and proportional to that um it, it's easy to keep it's easy to grow good plants when you keep everything in balance and you know there's there's no real need to try to to push it one of these variables or the other Bring a lot of people together yeah. get sold on it like oh i'm gonna get this pk booster because the grow shop said it's gonna be the best thing and then we see like bodybuilders and they're like oh it's like a supplement i'm gonna give it steroids or i'm gonna boost it up i'm gonna do this and that yeah uh, when in reality it's like i talked about this a little bit last week but like i knew guys that took a bunch of steroids and didn't like lift hard enough and didn't eat right and didn't train so they just got really fat and like it fucked up their <laughs> hormones and fucked up their system so even if you know they do other things you have to do all the other things right you can't just push and push and push and hope and expect like, oh, we're going to get these bodybuilder performance out of my plants because I gave it a shit ton of EC or a shit ton of PK or whatever it is that is being pushed at the time. Uh, so that is certainly something that's still being discussed and, and pushed by certain groups. I see oftentimes nutrient companies or people that are sponsored by them pushing for really high EC. That's, that's the final thing I wanted to say about this thing is sort of the final pearl of wisdom we can gain from this question is... Man, take the advice from people who are standing behind a cash register with a, a huge gain of salt because they're interested in sort of selling you some products or, you know, whatever it is, especially if it's something like this that it seems like that seems kind of excessive or that seems like it might lead you to problems because where do you go when you have problems? Back to the hydro store to, you know, spend more money to buy more stuff to ask that guy that caused your problems how to solve the problems that he caused. Um, so yeah, that's, I know for a lot of growers, it seems like this is like an industry inside. This is somebody that like knows that it's, it's, oh, it's really, uh, so a rare, be careful a rare hydro store, store that will help guys. you. Yeah. Most of yeah. them are, are shady salesmen, but like you might run into one that actually has something, you know, beneficial. It's probably a guy that like works there because he loves growing the plant. He's not the guy who owns the store. Maybe he's not getting commission. So he'll actually be like, this is the type of nutrient you should use. This is what I use at home. And yeah. this is just a whole bunch of, you know, sales jargon. There's a lot of good people out there too. And I, I, I mean, for sure, but be sure that you've got one of those people. Don't just take their advice blindly. Consider, right. yeah, definitely consider the source. I, I was going to say, um, Aaron, the grower, posted about a similar topic to what you were saying earlier in the, in the beginning, 
about how like uh it, it almost seems like there's like an aesthetic like you know with far- with farming right like oh i want to grow like a farmer you know like how you think it is um but and i'm sure dr coco would definitely support the the uh the point that um the way that farming is gone for a long time that sort of that sort of um primitivist perspective was not great you know there's a lot, a lot of not success uh, amongst the the success that eked out and um if you're not so like for example aaron is growing um uh, as, as he would call it you know uh, highly organically or, or living soil or something like this but it uses sensors you know so i just feel like there's people i feel like it's really common to get caught up in this like feeling of what it should look like rather than uh you know what you're actually doing like the process um yeah, and and I think that uh, sensors aren't a aren't a terribly bad thing to to invest in or anything like that because it gives you better information, and then I think it's actually very supplementary rather than being like um, just like a like the poor like a poor suit you know like you shouldn't think of it in that way I think. Yeah, I think some people want to get so attached to the naturalist ways of like oh I need to do it exactly like nature, yeah. but ultimately like a lot of people grow killer shit under artificial lights. And even if they're using organic soil or whatever, I mean, like they're using the things that are available to them, the sensors, the lights, the everything that allows them to produce the product that they want. So uh, it's certainly, I think, nice to reflect and look at nature and, and all of our options and be conscious of our footprint and things like that. But at the end of the day, like there's a lot of artificiality to horticulture. You know, we're controlling so many factors. We're not just letting the uh, insects come in and, and wipe out our crop as uh, one, right? So some people would be like, well, I'm going to go polyculture and let the natural guys come in and take out the, and some people do that and do it effectively. So I'm not trying to knock it. I've seen lots of approaches to this. So uh, with that said, I, we do have a stockpile of questions that I want to get to, because I do want to open up the panel and get some awesome people in here in a little bit. So maybe we'll go a little bit of lightning round here. Minnesota Grower has asked a few, but this is the first one that I'm seeing in our Zoom chat. Uh, they say, Jeepom Grow, what do you think of diatomaceous earth as a source of silica in amending and top dressing? What is better? I think if you're looking for silica, I would look at other sources of silica that break down faster. But if you're using diatomaceous earth as like a top dressing to try to use for IPM, for instance, and then you you get the silica as a secondary benefit i think that's a better use of silica i mean a better use of diamantaceous earth than to try to use it as a direct import input source as silica can i chime in real quick on the silica sure. question so uh, the least expensive forms of silica that i've come across are both <clears throat> wolastonite uh, or calcium silica it's a mineral or AgSil 16, which is produced by PQ Corporation. Those, um, out of all the different products that contain high levels of silica, those are the two that, it, that have, out of all of my experience in the years that I've been doing this, have the highest percentage of silica, highest percentage of available silica, and are the least uh, expensive. Anybody else have thoughts for that question? 
I have a question for Brandon. Is um that will last tonight? Is that like a quick release or is it slow release? What's the story with that stuff? Because I heard about that stuff. Yeah, so I sell it. I sell it on my website, uh, CalSil so Plus. So it's it has calcium, silica, magnesium, and iron in it. And so it's a pretty cool little extra. A little, yeah, a little bundle. Yeah, I didn't even extra, know. Yeah, it's got a little extra iron and magnesium in there. Both are photosynthetic. Um, the what was the question? Sorry. How quickly is it available oh. to the plant? Like, is it mostly yes. for living soil? Or, yeah. Yeah. So, um, with the potassium silica, it is 100 percent soluble in water, and the calcium silica has less solubility, but they make several different types. So, I get the completely micronized version. So it's a very fine powder. So it does fall into solution. It's just uh, that particular mineral is not as soluble as the Agsil 16, but I still use it in, uh, you know, when I'm mixing nutrients, I will put it in solution. And as long as you have, because uh, it is a little heavier, as long as you have a mixer, not like an aerator stone, uh, but a actual tank mixer. It'll help keep it uh, in solution when you're delivering it into the plant uh, media. Good stuff. And uh, shout out to you, Brandon, for letting me sample the uh, CalSil Plus. So I've used well last night and didn't even realize that the plant seemed to enjoy it, though. Uh, shout out to you and Bukashi Earthwork Products. I've been using that for a little while now and definitely seems to be doing the job. Uh, but with that said, I think we sufficiently answered that last question so i want to get to lord blueberry who asked cheap home grow will keeping genetics in solo cups long term stunt plants or cause other problems and i'll say short term that it would but long term my thought is no uh, i've taken solo cup moms or bonsai mothers for up to two years and not seen really much epigenetic drift or genetic change or some clonal variation whatever you want to call it uh the plants as soon as they're taken out of that situation in my experience start to grow like plants grow in larger pots as long as they're not root bound especially if you take a fresh cut root it and grow it out they grow just like any of my other clones would grow so i'm curious if anybody else has thoughts on the uh does leaving plants in solo cups like mothers uh stunt the genetics long term or cause any other issues i haven't really seen anything personally i think once the plant grew out from it um you'd be able to you know take successful cuttings from it again yes i think so too good stuff lightning rounding it up a little bit here because we're coming up almost to the one hour mark and i'm probably going to share the link if anybody wants to come in and show off their grow or just hang out a little birthday you guys want to see mine yeah go ahead and uh pull it up but i'm going to take these questions while you show it off instead of uh i'll let you talk about go it ahead. in about 10 minutes uh, no go ahead so. do your let's do questions i'll show you guys later Okay, this one says, how fast do isopods take over beds? And is chopped and dropped cover crop enough to keep them happy? I am looking to add isopods, not remove, by the way. Yeah, um, so I actually had to do this for a client, uh, sort of look into this information. Um, and for one, I, I just want to say that uh, I think the term like takeover, you know, might might make people think like a negative context. Um, unless you're unless and specifically for cannabis, uh, the plants are small, 
and a sort of a seedling or a little bit more mature than that when the when the stem is really herbaceous and i've talked about this before uh, little nibbles you know in aggregate can be a huge problem or like isopods right but when the plant starts to harden off and it gets kind of xylemy and woody then uh it's really not a threat at all i would say i just want to bring that point up first or I say that, um, yeah, if you chop and drop and kind of create a mulch, and even if you use other techniques to make a mulch, so in, uh, in some in some way, shape, or form, are mulching, then um, that's a really great, it's really, it has a lot of advantages. Um, and those advantages, like increased moisture retention and um, a few others, like basically having the you know, decaying organic matter available to the plant, well, that's what isopods often eat. Uh, is like dead plant matter or plant matter that's about to decay, like leaf matter and stuff in particular. So it's kind of what they eat. And so if you're in a situation where that's going to be a problem, then uh, yeah, I would recommend against it. But I think a lot of people also look at them as a nuisance and maybe as a threat when they're not necessarily a threat. That's why I started with that description at the very beginning. But yeah, if you want to get rid of them, then you're going to want to, because they're crustaceans. So they are adapted to live on land, but, you know, they still need that moisture. It's really important for them. So if you get rid of that free excess organic matter and uh, moisture, if you restrict that, then you'll restrict their population. Same thing for like mold mites and springtails too. Basically the same kind of thing can help decrease their populations if you're feeling a little bit weird about it. All right. Does anybody else have any thoughts on the isopod question or do we want to move on to terp simps? I'll take the silence as uh, nobody else has any thoughts there. So terp simp asks Xenthanol, how do you attempt to match the pest threat size with number of applied beneficial predators? I'm interested in application for a smaller indoor grows specifically. And then they also follow up and say that, uh, I guess, further question, where can we draw the line for beneficial predators? If someone uh, is overrun by russet mites, for example, when to throw the towel and reset and when to try to save it with beneficials? It's a great question. Uh, another question I had to work with somebody on recently because um, it's uh, super expensive in a commercial setting. And this is also true in a home growth setting. And... It's also, I think, a generally true statement that a lot of like predatory mites for like, say, russet mites or even for things like spider mites, right? Some of them you can feed uh, on like pollen or some other sort of alternative food source so that they can stay in the plant. So they, didn't, they tend to be better and more efficiently used preventatively. So you, there's this sort of incentive to apply them uh, in this way. But if you have never used them before, it can be very hard to tell how much you're, are, are you overshooting. Because, I mean, on a technical, in a technical way, there's no such thing, really. You're not going to, like, damage your plants or anything like that. But there's a cost associated. So you, so you want to be efficient in that way. And also, you know, not everyone is as comfortable with them as I am. And if you're growing in, like, a tent and that tent is in your bedroom, you know, maybe you don't want... Uh, half a million predatory mites in your tent, right? Maybe you don't zip it in, zip it up all the way or something like that. They're not going to hurt you, 
uh, generally speaking. But, you know, it's, uh, some of them, they come with feeder mites. And maybe those will get into your dog food or something, which I have seen happen to people. Not necessarily with biocontrols, but just in general. Those mold mites, they get into your grain, and then they become kind of a household nuisance. Uh, yeah, hopefully no one's on the panel has ever dealt with that, but it can be a problem. You ever deal with that, Spartan? No, the most of the time place I'll see them migrate to is a worm bin. They, they love the worm bin, that's for sure. Oh, yeah, yeah. Good notes to be aware of when implementing predator mites, just to keep your eyes open for those few things and uh, being, you know, just like IPM generally, uh, smart about not spreading them as much as you can uh, on your body or your person, you know, as you're moving around your residence. Uh, I'm a big fan of the whole, you know, shower and change before you go into the garden and maybe wear grow, grow clothes and then not have to go tracking that around to the other. A lot of times people don't do that on the way out myself uh guilty of that a little bit specifically as well but maybe protect the cat and dog food and things like that or other uh, grains if you have any stored nearby but uh, i think we answered that question as well and art man's oh, got another I didn't one answer the first part oh sorry go ahead i'll be quick i'll be quick so they asked um you know how do you sort of match the threat how do you threat level and how do you make that decision i've said it before but basically uh your history is super important and kind of noting in some like in some sort of way, you should have an SOP for this. You do this commercially, you can do this individually. But um, in a lot of cases, especially in like a tent grow or something comparable to that size, a lot of times the biocontrols you'll get, even like in their smallest sort of permutation, is going to be pretty big for a home grow. So you're probably gonna you're probably gonna get a good amount for the price, um, and just kind of apply it that way. And then maybe the question is applying it, um, you know, weekly or bi-weekly or something like this, uh, knowing how many you, you typically get and when you get them is super important for, again, making those sorts of, uh, preventive measures. Like if you know, you're going to get spider mites, you know, you get like, you know, every year you get maybe like a whole, like one or two plants just gets, you know, a whole bunch of them. Partly that could be your crop scouting, but regardless, you might think, okay, well, week 29 or week 30 or whatever week in the year it is that you get them, maybe start applying some persimilis. One bottle, you apply it, you get a whole bunch. Make sure you look at them and see that they're crawling around in your plant. And, and yeah, basically, that, I think that would be a good way to apply it. But usually, you're pro unless you get like a whole ton of them, uh, again, it's different for different people. Um, I have to say the context is important, but yeah, for a home growth situation, uh, you're, I think for a lot of people, you know, a thousand to 2000, uh, that you get in a bottle is going to be way more than enough for like the amount of square meter you're using. That's been but my yeah, if you have any extra questions, you can experience. contact me, I guess. Sorry to jump in there, but yeah, whenever I've worked with people who've used them, the small amount that they got, either they went with that or maybe doubled and it was effective almost every single time depending on the size of their tent and, and home grow setup so i got a quick question um I, like and, and i think they tell you to do this like where you see them is where you want to apply more of the predator bugs right but you also want to make sure you get them everywhere right because it could be like a couple hiding out in the corner that if you don't hit them with the predators the predators won't go there because they got feasts in the middle of the tent and then that little corner will break out and have a breakout and take over again. Is that something that you've seen? 
Yeah, definitely. It's I mean, it's it's very hard to assign like proximate cause, uh, you know, in, in a way. But I do think that, yeah, I tend to take the philosophy that if you have them, that first of all, your crop scouting isn't perfect and you probably didn't get everything. So take the assumption, especially as the scale gets larger, that there's probably other areas that you didn't see that are like fledgling populations or little tiny mites or whatever you're dealing with. And yeah, I would try to do an even spread. Like imagine if you were going to apply whatever amount of biocontrols you have, like do the calculation of an even spread of that material uh, or sachets or something like that, and then bias it to like some hot spots that you found. So like maybe if it were 100% for the whole area, you would then maybe like and like, you know, an extra 20% of the material you have and like put it on the hot spots or something like this. And I, so I think it's very important that you do that equalized spread. That's usually important for just about every biocontrol that you use, uh, especially in a preventive or especially in a curative fashion, but also in a preventive one too, because there's no bias. Artman asked uh, another question that's IPM related. It says, it's not even a question, it's more just a statement. Saw hops virus can be spread by leaf hoppers. Yeah, so the hop latent virus, I just wanted to mention this because I did make a post about it too. There's some uh, uh, circumstantial evidence, I guess is the hierarchy of evidence I want to uh, sort of pin this at. Um, that there's the it could be that the leaf hopper they were looking at, which was the rice leaf hopper, I believe, um, uh, was able to. I mean, it they found the uh, the viroid in their body uh, on plants that had the hoplane viroid. They didn't actually uh, document transmission and then like kind of prove it, which is really important. And a lot of people seem to be very. Like, uh, they didn't seem to appreciate that aspect, but it's very important. Um, there are other examples, actually specifically in leafhoppers, but other insects were like, they can seemingly be a carrier for like a virus. Um, and ostensibly you'd think that that would be enough, right? Especially since they tend to regurgitate and the viruses get in their saliva or in their gut or whatever. But yeah, some leafhoppers just don't vector certain viruses to the same plant um, for whatever reason. So you got to be careful, you know, you got to be very careful with what the research actually says and the level of confidence that they have, which I've been very happy to see with most pretty much all research about hoplite and viroid I've been seeing, uh, by people actually doing the experimentation and writing the peer reviewed research. But, uh, yeah, so that could be another vector potentially who knows. Bryce, it seems like a logical step. One. I mean, it does, uh, it does, right. It, it, mechanical stimulation is enough. If you cut a plant with a pair of scissors and then you cut another plant with a pair of scissors, you have just transferred hop latent viroid. So if one animal, a leaf hopper, hops from one leaf and nibbles on it and has it all over its fucking face and mouth and shit and regurgitates its spit back out and then goes to another plant and starts nibbling on it. I think uh, there was a, I think John Stewart was had a point where he's like, if there was a, you know, chocolate outbreak in Hershey PA, we'd all kind of, uh, know where it's coming from it's like sometimes we got to put the two and two together but i, I do agree that the yet, there are leaf hoppers that have the virus but that and then don't they don't transmit it. so yeah, yeah. how why do you think that is um that's a good point i do i think that it's important to for the scientists like i was just following up to be specific and, and make sure that they don't make claims without the 
specific data, but my uh, ignorance would lead me to say or guesstimate that if I had to guess that it's going to be spread by this and maybe a bunch of fucking crickets, grasshoppers, and all sorts of uh, pests that can jump from one plant to another and eat part of it and spread it to the other thing. But they're going to confirm and we'll probably uh, in a year or two look at a paper of leaf hoppers transmitting hoplite and viroid. But until then, I tell you what, I'm not uh, controlled by big biocontrol. And uh, one thing that people have asked me about that is, well, could biocontrols, you know, vector it just by like touching the plants? The answer I have is I don't know, but um, that would be an interesting thing to take a look at, too, I think. And uh, I'm not like somebody who's like, oh, no, you know, we can't talk anything bad about biocontrols. They've survived. Um, (laughs) But uh, yeah, so I I definitely uh, I think the testing is super important. And I'm surprised nobody's actually like done that last step yet. Because that would be really nice and probably be a feather in their cap. So do it, researchers. I'm talking to you. They just got to get the grants. I'm sure that the, a, a few of them out there have applied and maybe gotten denied or uh, just don't have the funding yet for whatever reason. So it's difficult. Re- research has uh, its challenges for sure. And uh, well, there's still I, got lots of people with graduate projects that they have to do. So there we go, guys, graduate students. At MSU. MSU, there you go at MSU. MSU has a lot of good research. Actually, uh, they had a lot of cool research I was just reading about um, from MSU. So yeah, respect cool like Irvine here in California. Yeah. They have a Wait, lot of interesting, interesting agriculture stuff uh, from LED lighting technology. I think it's called Cell, the Controlled in, uh, Environment Lighting Lab. Uh, and so, yeah, there's a lot of cool stuff going. Big agriculture state generally. Uh, a lot of good food grown there. A lot of uh, knowledgeable farmers and horticulturalists so shout out to michigan michiganja all the people spartan and others i just saw spartan speaking at uh, one of the things there in michigan we could get to that maybe a little bit uh that was exciting to see though i always uh like to see when he puts his money where his mouth is like and when we talk about doing it and then you get to see him go up and do it uh i saw other people posting like spartan speaking like all stoked and fucking taking videos <laughs> so i was it's uh cool to see the community come together behind a common goal like that like we talked about in past weeks so cheers to you for you know doing it Thanks, Jack. It was it was a fun time. I, I'm I'm really starting to fear it less and enjoy it more. Yeah, it's still scary as hell to do it, but uh, it's becoming more fun to do it. And uh, I had a good time this year, and it was a different kind of vibe this year, with less of a protest and more of a come together. Um, what we want to see change, and uh, kind of honoring the people that we've lost quite a few activists that were pretty big in the uh, scene here in Michigan in the last couple of years. So it was kind of a dedication to them as well. So <clears throat> all in all, I thought it was a really great event. And uh, of course I was honored to add, be asked to even speak there. And so I, uh, of course, couldn't turn it down, especially it's in Lansing. That's kind of the home of the Spartans. So how can, how can I not go to that one right (laughs) it's important work though i mean uh, a lot of people are probably asked and then can't make it for one reason or another they're busy with life or maybe the nerves get to them i mean standing in front of who knows hundreds or potentially thousands of people out there in public and uh saying stuff that not everybody agrees with necessarily but uh putting out your well thought opinions and uh coming from your experience and and you know trying to make change i think it's a powerful way to use your voice Thank you. And I think it, it does make a difference for sure. And it's great. We had, there's a couple of guys, a couple of congressmen that uh, spoke after me. Um, they'd come out, uh, they were happy to be a spearheading the bill, Jaden's Law. And they read it 
uh, for the first reading in Congress. So that means that hopefully they'll get a vote on that thing and hopefully it'll go through. Uh, and if, if anybody's curious on what Jaden's law is, that's a, it's a hopefully going to be a new law here in Michigan that allows the minors, the minors in Michigan that still have a medical marijuana card. The way it works in Michigan is, is if you're under the age of 18, you have to get two doctors, two separate doctors recommendations to say that, you know, they think that uh, cannabis will help their condition. If you get that, even with two doctors recommendations, you cannot medicate on school grounds. So under current law, uh, like for example, Jane's mom, Amy Carter, she's got to drive to the school, try to time it around recess. So it's less of a disruption from coming through classes and things like that. And then give her son, Jaden some medication and then drive him back to school. And then, you know, he's missing out on things. He's missing out on recess. He's missing out on just because of a stupid, I mean, you could have your children have an opiate and literally they don't leave school grounds. You know, that's also a, you know, a drug that is regulated by the federal government. So why are we treating things differently? So it's just one of those little niche, niche little bills that are looking to right or wrong. I'll tell you this, there's no problem in California with it. I know kids that take cannabis products in their schools here in California, given by nurses and and teachers or whoever is uh, legally, you know, given the authority to do that at the time. So, and there's been zero issues, zero pushback. It's actually come with great benefit to many of the individuals who are able to get their medicine like that. So I'm thankful Michigan is uh, taking that step to do that for those individuals, because a lot of people forget about the kids and, and think that it's just for adults because we have like literally adult use or this and that, but there's a lot of, I mean, shout out to uh, not shout out, but rest in peace, uh, Charlotte Figgy of Charlotte's web kind of fame. And, and that brought a lot of attention to the powers of CBD and it's anti uh, seizure abilities that, you know, it provided to so many people and uh, lots of CBD, not just Charlotte's web was able to help thousands of people. And that change, I, I really think that pushed part of like the hemp farm bill and a lot of the uh, legalizing and all, I think, uh, you know, the, the right to try was like one of the things. So people in all 50 states could use CBD and not have to move to see if it'll even work for them or break the law and have it, you know, shipped or travel to another state and get a bunch and smuggle it back. So we are seeing a yeah. lot of uh, positive change. Yeah. And there's countless examples of those are the most famous ones. But I mean, there was a there was a mom that was speaking right in front of me that uh, was holding her daughter in her hands as she was speaking. And, and she said, you know, this today marks a one year, one year anniversary. She hasn't had a seizure and she was having multiple ones every day. You know, this stuff is medicine. It still should be treated as that. And we, we should still leave these medicinal programs open. So that was a powerful speech. I like that one. It's so powerful because I've seen, I work with kids and I've seen them have a seizure in front of me. And one of the young men I worked with, uh, he had speech issues already. And like, we worked on his ABCs for like six months when he had the seizure. And I swear it was like, he lost that six months of progress. Like it was like a fucking, one of those etch-a-sketches you shake it up and it's just gone. Like, and I wish that he would never have to experience that because all that time and effort and work that he put in to try and, you know, improve his life and his abilities, it just to be sort of robbed from him in a few minute experience like that is uh it's terrible. So to, go a full year without one i mean every single one is potentially life-threatening people die of seizures so i mean this is like life-saving medicine and at that point so it's it can't be overstated how important it is to have access to kids to be able to use cannabis medicine if they need it 
Absolutely. I've, I've helped kids myself personally with making my oils and stuff for them as well. And I've seen it help. So, you know, I guess it's some of them it's THC. scientifically, but I can see it with my own damn eyes. And I see the improvement and you're never going to tell me different. Right. Well, I know somebody who got off four different seizure medications and CBD was the only thing that didn't have nasty side effects and actually worked for them. So it's uh, might be anecdotal in some cases. It might be a small enough sample size, but I think we're seeing hundreds or thousands of people now with these experiences. And uh, even like the FDA, Epidiolex was an approved medication. It's yeah. way too expensive, but at least they approved it. At least they got it into. And again, going back to the whole scheduling thing, it just shows how asinine it is. We have two, got them too. Marinol is a THC. It's granted synthetic. Uh, but then there's the Epidiolex, both FDA approved cannabis products on the market right now in the United States. So it is uh, quite asinine, but the Bolant or Bolanat, does anybody oh, else have I any thoughts on this I wanted to say about the, yeah, uh, just about the, the, the importance of that point about like, um, you know, seeing something that works and like the, the restrictions. Um, sometimes when I get nauseous, something that's really helpful is uh, promethazine. And over here, uh, it's super restricted. Come to find out in the UK, and also other parts of uh, of Europe, Fenergan, 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 Fenergan is Fenergan. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, it, they eat like candy. Uh, oh, allergies, take Fenergan, which is promethazine. Uh, you know, uh, allerg- uh, you know, trouble sleeping, insomnia. I'm gonna take some some promethazine. Now, do I think that? I mean, you know, you got to be responsible with everything that you're using, and that's not always appropriate for everyone, but. Um, I was, uh, it was amazing. I was gobsmacked by the difference in the way that people were, you know, utilizing it. Uh, so I they're, brought a bunch of them. They're gobsmacked by how much we can buy Tylenol in like a 500 pill bottle. They can only buy like <laughs> 10 or 15 at a time. So like it's, yeah. there's these weird little subtle differences like that. Like they can't go in and buy 500 acetaminophen. Like they can only buy 10 or 15 in a little pack. And I think it's like monitored how many you can get like in a week or a month or something like that. Uh, it's a lot. Paracetamol or para. I'm saying it wrong for sure. Paracetamol. <laughs> Anyways, apparently that one's really popular. Uh, they give it to people for everything, kind of like we do for like Tylenol or that kind of a thing as well. But I don't think that they have the same. Yeah, like you're saying, kind of like effect. Like uh, they're not exactly the same. Does anybody else have any uh, thoughts on the previous uh, question there, or can we move on to the Olanot? I might be mispronouncing that, but cheap home grow. What will happen to a photo period if put in 18 hours light tent on week three flower? Should I be worried? What could happen? Only grow autos, many prayers uh, or praying hands. I'm going to pass that one to Doc. Yeah. So it sounds like he's got a photo period plant that's in week three of flower. And now it's on 18 hours of light. Um, it's not good. It certainly could be a problem. Um, I guess my, my, it sounds like it's just now on that, like for how many days is, is it a full 18, six rotation? Um, you know, if it happened once, I think the plant can kind of tolerate that and just adjust to having one longer light period. 
Um, what really actually matters more is the length of the dark period. So if your lights off have gone from 12 hours down to six hours for sort of several days in a row, the plant's probably going to start to reveg. And if you, or just kind of get screwed up enough that it starts to herm, um, that may happen now as you're sort of giving it too much light on a period after it started to flower, um, or it may happen when you go back again. So it really depends, I would say, on how long this has been going on. But they're not, we call them photoperiods instead of autoflowers because like they're sensitive to stuff like this. Specifically the scoto period that like you're talking about, like the dark period and the fact that it's week three in the flower, that's like the most hormonally sensitive time, in my opinion. Like that's when you're most likely to see a herm is like three to four weeks into flower or at the very end, in my opinion. And that's yeah. like right when you're starting to see sex and like to throw it into a veg light cycle like that. I'm not sure what the reason is. I don't know if we got any follow up on this one or not from the bull knot, but uh, it was a mistake. I assume that it was very well may change its pronouns, but um yeah i would say why did he go from flower to 18 and 6 and it would be like a revenge and you yeah. know kind of but you'll get some funky ass growth i know because yeah i've seen I, maybe sure it's like I've a hypothetical question because like i've also heard people say like uh kyle breeder and, and again ross and jeff have said like the last two weeks of flower you can throw it into 18 6 they do this more for yeah. making seeds, but also what? some people have said, oh, it increases your yield and resin production and this and that. Uh, and they he won't says, at that point. I too be late. Worried? So that makes yeah. me feel like this is something that he's done or that's <laughs> happened. And he's like, shit, if I, had, I, I screwed it. Yeah, up. maybe I shouldn't have done that. But yeah, I've also seen where, I don't know if it was a reveg, but it, it was probably a reveg of a pretty large plant. And the dude put it into flowers. This is my buddy a long, long time ago. It was the biggest buds I've ever seen. And it was the best harvest the kid ever had. It was like at a sweet spot somehow. And it went right into flower. And it was just it's sick. But yeah, that's like fluke things and whatever. Yeah. Yeah, I would say how long it's been. If this has been a day or two, I'd just get right back on the 12-12 and, you know, be a Hawkeye on that plant and just be watching it for the next several weeks. Um, if it's been longer than that, I mean, I guess I have a lot of follow-up questions that I'd want to get into to figure out sort of the path that we want to take with this particular plant. But it, it um, a revege is tolerable. Getting a, a herm out of this is sort of what I'd like to avoid. If you want to keep the plant. I just uh, dropped the link to, I know we're about 23 minutes late on the hour, but uh, if anybody does want to come on and show off their grow, they can. We've just got a few more questions in the queue there. So I figured this would be a good time. I'm going to replace the pinned message and we'll probably stop taking questions at this point. But uh, does anybody else have thoughts on the 18-hour light cycle with the photo period? Uh, or do we want to move on to Plant Guardian's question? I'll take that as Plant Guardian is up next. So Cheap Home Grow. Does anyone have experience with putting Microbe Plus and the Smart Carbon Humates down the tube of a sip? Um, I've only done the... Micro plus. So Spartan, have you put the, I think you said that you water all that stuff under the top. 
Yeah, I usually well to me the the target for micro plus for me is the root zone. And so I like to water that through the media to try to hit the root zone. I'm sure it could by capillary action or whatever soak up and get sucked up into the root zone that way, but I still feel like you're only gonna hit the bottoms and I don't know. I feel like I want to water through the whole media. Um, and I do the same thing with the, with any mineral and, and, you know, and the smart carbon, that's basically a mineral. And so I like to deposit that in my head, deposit that into the media. I want that spread throughout the media for the plant roots to search out and grab. I don't really want to store that in uh, below the media res. So I haven't really done that myself. I'm sure watering through the top that does, trickle through filter through and get into the bottom but at much lower you know concentrations so but in the end yeah yeah they're getting down in there i've never seen any issue with that but uh not i haven't directly done it it's getting watered through i had somebody dm me recently and they put like six different things down there like they put like uh, em5 em1 like uh like they were just mixing it up like every single thing that they might have heard that you could have possibly put down there and then they were having some like white little like fungal looking growth or something and my thought was just kind of keep it simple I, I like to go plain water or water with a little bit of micro plus um yeah i do agree with spartan watering it in through the top would probably be more effective uh, for me, it's just a simplicity thing because I tape my caps on. Um, it would just, it's more convenient for me to water through the bottom. And with the sealed cap, it, when I do lift it up, I like can see the moisture like dripping across the top of the plastic layer. So I think that it's distributing it okay enough. But um, at the same time, I do try to put clean water in like at least 67% of the time, like every two out of three waterings are going to be clean water. And then maybe one out of three will be with micro plus. But then I don't put anything else through the uh, tube in the sip. So anybody else? Um, I can speak on that. As far as the micro plus goes, that's great in a sip situation. The reason being because it is a flocculative anaerobe. So it can prevent the types of biology that would grow in anaerobic conditions. And if you don't have a lot of oxygen or anything aerating that water down there, those are the conditions. And so it'll, it'll mitigate that issue that that potential issue um, as far as smart carbon goes i have not tried it myself but again smart carbon carbon is a complex of chelated uh, nutrients so if you're adding that with the microbe plus the biology is going to start to consume that product and it's going to go through all of the different <laughs> stages like for instance nitrogen nitrogen will be cycled it'll be liberated it'll be consumed denitrified there's all the different processes that'll happen will happen in that situation in that system something to think about good but yeah sure. it shouldn't be an issue all right both well, good to know from the uh person who's supplying it himself and Oil Town Oil asks a question that I think Doc will be able to answer for us. Uh, cheap Home Grow. After an indoor cocoa grow that went poorly, uh, parentheses, very low yields, but otherwise successful, how should I prepare the fabric bags of cocoa for another attempt? Um, yeah, first, you may not like this. The best way to do this is to empty the fabric bags of the cocoa. Um, you can do it wet or dry. Try to get as much of the root material out as you can. Um, and then re-rinse and rebuffer that cocoa. 
um, and get it set up again to be new cocoa. You'll lose some in the process because you're gonna you're gonna rinse some of the dust out. Um, I guess I should ask. I'm assuming that he's that this grower is fertigating. Um, as opposed to amending something in the cocoa, that would certainly make a, a difference between how you would want to sort of deal with this. But um, yeah, rinse and reset the media is really the best way to go if you're growing in cocoa as a hydroponic media. Um, Rebuffer it and it'll be yeah. sort of good as, as new again at the end of that process, but it does take some work. Hey, Don, guess what? Nutrients, right? <laughs> if you said you had or a low you yield, you should, add, you should up the nutrients, Doc, or what? What's that? He said he had a low yield with that with that run of cocoa. So he yeah, so that gets me thinking about sort of how they were growing, and that's why I paused for a second and, and added in the amended stuff. Um, most growers that are fertigating don't have that specific right. complaint, so um, they may be trying a different style of of growing with cocoa. Also, I would bet that most people, just from my experience working with thousands of growers at this point i would bet that they overfed if anything if they had a low yield in cocoa and that's what probably led to the low yield typically um i very rarely see people under feeding uh, i often see people overfeeding. so if they got it dialed in i think they'd have a little bit higher yield just with that alone getting the ec into a proper range and keeping the plants just as yeah, healthy as they can frequent feeding allowing the the cocoa to swing a lot allowing big drybacks um to happen can let the the ec swing a lot too so I agree, Jack. We got TX Weed Hopper back in the house. Garden's looking good as always. Uh, we've got, it looks like uh, last time we talked, you were late veg. Have you flipped it yet? Actually, I flipped seven days ago. So this nice. is uh, week, week one in the books and everything's uh, forming up. I got a couple that I need to take a few more, uh, defoliate a little bit more, open them up. They're looking nice. The back left is definitely starting to take off. Yeah, everything's looking good. I raised the lights as high as it'll go, so it looks like I got a little ways to go. They got some room to grow. They're going to reach for the sky and they're going to boom out. I mean, they've got you got plenty of flower sites. I love big plants. Okay, that's my game. Is it too high? You know, some some people are like into into rapid gratification but uh I, I spent 70 days in beds and i'm in soil so it's all good we all get to the same spot oh it's for sure gonna reward you very handsomely and i'm sure you're gonna have uh, more than you need for yourself for sure and uh, oh, this will be quite the harvest that, yeah how much are they drinking how much you gotta water them every day the, the watering's the fun part Actually, and <clears throat> that right there is my future reservoir, and I'm going to have a five-gallon bucket hanging somewhere around there, and I'm going to have a pump that's going to pump up there to keep the level constant, and uh, I'm going to have blue mat rings in every fucking pot, okay? And it'll be good. That's the future. What about now? What about now? I get in there, and, I, you know, I fell on my ass the other day, and I'm all bruised up, so it hurt like shit fucking getting down there and watering today. About how much water is going into this garden, like uh, on a day-to-day -day basis? Um, well, let's, let's see. I put two five-gallon buckets in here today. 
and I've been doing some butt chugging. I love it's actually, water. It's actually kind of nice because I just I just dump it in the trays and the and the fabric pots just soak it up. I love that. Honestly, I think it works real well. I I think it prevents overwatering a lot of the time, and the plants don't seem to. Uh, you know you what? Know, dislike it too much. I, honestly, I, I think I heard somebody on Smart Show mention underwatering. And that's my deal. Okay. I, I think I, I think I starve my plants part of the time because I'm paranoid about overwatering. And I, you know, I know what clawing looks like. And I, you know, I can recognize the signs, but I, I don't know. It's just a habit. I Dude, you got to try a sip. And I let them get, you know, pretty light and then I water again, you know, but you'll, you'll then, love a sub irrigated pl planter or pot. <laughs> when I started butt chugging, I realized how fucking heavy that pot can really be when it is yeah. actually right. Because, you know, when it's right, the plants pray. Oh, yeah. When they're fully saturated, it's a, a heavy, especially with, are you in like, like 30 gallon pots or something like that? I got all 15s. I got the 130. I had a Westport grape juice and it turned male and it's out in the yard right now. Oh, okay. Cool. Hey, 15 is still a good uh, soil soil space, but I would go Spartan style in your situation and get the city pickers, those square uh, subgraded pots that you can rotate them around. They're on casters. You could roll them and make it a little bit easier to move in and out for watering. Uh, and that could even, uh, I, I would do a side by side in your situation. You were talking about getting like a blue mat set up. I do think that the sips are almost as good, if not as effective yeah. as, as some of those blue mat systems. Honestly, Jack, you can see I haven't quite dove in yet. So, you know, I'm not I'm not convinced on any which way is right either. So, you know, get yourself one city picker, just one. And I promise you, you'll probably fall in love because this fucking thing's <laughs> crank, man. That, that's mine. That's suitable for for a fifteen because these are uh, these are AC Infinity fifteens and they're they're actually a full fifteen gallons and they're heaviest but so it might be a little bit smaller. 15, yeah, it's going to be less soil in a city picker. You'd have to get an earth box, I think, that you might be able to get closer to a fifteen gallon size. Yeah, they're like two cubic feet or something like that. So yeah. they say. Smiley says you can never you know, get that much in there though. There's a, there's a million ways to skin the cat, and since I'm a fucking former engineer that I was retired now, I like overthinking things and overdesigning things. And uh, you know, I'm not I'm not I'm not quite to the point of fucking coding a, a, a black or what is it a raspberry pie, but you know, uh, I know people that can. But hey, once an engineer, you're always an engineer, and your mind will never stop gonna, thinking I ain't like that. Do that. But you know, my pH pin's kind of been retired since I went to soil, and that's kind of cool. It is nice how simple soil can make it, especially just uh butt chugging, as abolished likes to call it over at the frugal forest. Good to see him back in the swing yeah. of things. I think he's po posting content again. Shout out to abolished uh farms, formerly abolished aquatics, and a whole bunch of other abolished mycology. He's all over the place on the social medias, but yeah. Frugal Forest. I know Spartan's been over there uh, back in the day and probably now currently if they're back running again live or I don't know if it's yeah. reposts or going live again. Uh, we did a show this summer that it's like seasons. So yeah, we did we did some tape shows this summer and then they're kicking around an idea for a live show coming up soon, I think in the fall, I, I believe. Very cool. Well, happy to see 
he's uh, back at it. I know he had some stuff going on for a little while, but it's uh, good to see him back. Uh, TX Weedhopper, what's the uh, strain that you're proudest of in the garden? Which one's the one you're looking most forward to of the bunch? All right. That's that's a tough question. You know, um, I think one of them is familiar. I've grown it before, and that's Grim Blue. Okay, that's in the far that's in the far right corner. Okay. And she's she's looking beautiful as always, multiple colas coming up, this big ass bush. Um, but then I I've got three testers from Brother Brothers Graham. One is on the left here is uh Rosetta 78, which is Rosetta Stone. Uh I believe crossed with genius. Yep. G13. And she's looking fucking she, like she's going to be an incredible queen, which, you know, who knows how long she'll take to finish. Um, this one right here is uh, Ossifer, which is a Brothers Grimm strain, but it's a tester and it's a uh, cap junkie times uh, C99, I believe. That should be potent. Uh, it's supposed to be super fucking high THC. We'll see. This this one right here is uh, the Jackra, which is another Brothers Grimm tester strain. And you know what? Uh, I say Brothers Grimm tester strain, but when you fucking get nine feminized seeds, okay, man, for 25 bucks, how can you go wrong? Okay. Anyway, that's the Jacker, which is Jack Hare uh, by uh, Gluey. But unfortunately, I think this one's discontinued. They're not going to do this one anymore because he wasn't satisfied with something. Uh, somebody had an outside grow where they just fucking stretched like a motherfucker. But this one's looking good. So, you know, I'm, I'm happy. She's, she's, she's budding out pretty good. It's weird how indoor and outdoor they can express so differently. I do think it comes down to a lot to the environment that it's grown in. Some people just get a lot more uh, good direct sun and good environment where other people uh, maybe aren't in the optimal place for it. Right. This one is a, a strain by Backwoods Bud Farm in Oklahoma. And uh, it's called Midnight Rider. It's a gross train haze times uh, midnight special. God damn, I remembered that shit. You're on it, dude. You're crushing it. This one is uh, just a... It's like lower branch clones. That's why it's in the pot that's elevated so that it's up there with the rest of them. But it's like four clones and uh, two of them are the Vajacra. One of them is uh, the Midnight Rider and one of them is the... Rose or whatever, seventy-eight. That one in the corner. But anyway, the uh, Grim Glue's got my eye. She's a stud. It's It's hard going live. Grim glue rocks. Okay, look at that. Look at that. That's a hell of a plant, man. That thing is a beauty. Look at the structure. Look at the color. I mean, that's like if I had to take one plant out of your garden and put it in my garden, it's that one right there. Uh, the structure is fucking awesome. Okay, there's no central cola. There's a yep. bunch of them. 
and it, and it's just dark and it's just loving life. That's what that blueberry straight and, blueberry I had out. And actually, exactly if like I went I down there and I scraped back the mulch, the worms would just be jumping. It's alive. I love when you get the soil all dialed in, nice and happy like that, and the plants just uh, seem to love it. A lot of yeah. really good, good-looking plants here, and some cool strains. Uh, not honestly, not a lot of stuff that I see grown by too many other people. Uh, the fact that they're testers, I mean, maybe it's just like not as extensively tested. He's had stuff since like the '90s, obviously, Cindy '99. But uh, yeah, he's been around for a long time. He took a long break, nuclear physicist or engineer or something like that, and came back into the cannabis space. So shout out to Rick. Uh, Mr. Yeah, Rick, Rick is pairing some new stuff together. Um, you know, there's, there's some interesting breeding going on and I, I, I really believe he, he has a good nose for what's good. Yeah. And um, farmers are going to farm breeders going to breed. He's cool, man. He's out in Colorado. He's got fucking alpacas. He's got himself a farm. Like he's, he's doing it a uh, bigger scale now than he was ever able to do back in the day. So I'm happy for him to be able to put that space and uh, stuff to work. Yeah, a lot of they're, people really like they're personable too. If you ask him a question, he'll answer you back. Yeah, for sure. We're very, very uh, happy to have him in the community. He had a little run-in where his life was almost taken from him in an incident. So I'm, I'm happy that he made it through that and uh, that he's still with us and, and putting out cool shit for the community to grow. Because I think that there's uh, really only, I'd say about 40 or 50 good breeders putting out amazing seed. And a lot of people are just copying and replicating and, and hype you know, pushing. So right. I think um, he's one of the ones doing the good stuff. Qu question while I got your ear. I saw on the other day, I saw yesterday, I think, on the cannabis legalization news where they were talking about the new uh, farm bill redefining what hemp is and that it would fucking basically destroy the seed industry and a whole bunch of shit that we enjoy. Does anybody know about that? Does it I remove the THC limit? What is the I I don't this is the first time hearing it. What what would it be? What he's talking it? about he's talking about that the farm bill is rewritten every five years, in that it is the new verbiage that's coming out on the new farm bill would reclassify any of the seeds that we sell because they come from high THC parents as not no longer hemp. And they are, you know, so they would become regulated. Yes, basically, if it grows into a plant that has fucking over the limit of THC, they're fucking redoing it so that it it cancels that and, and it sucks. So we got to fight this shit. A lot of hemp farmers are, are they going to are they going to grow out plants and test them? Is that what they're proposing? Uh, who knows what the fuck a government thinks? They're always fucked up. That's what well, they would have to do to prove it, right? They're well, they, they're doing the that, Tao. They do that in, in red states. If they intercept clones and shit, they'll still uh, occasionally okay. go well, through I'm those asking. processes. It also have to change the actual definition of hemp, though, because in the farm bills prior, they defined hemp as a, you know, the plant with a, a below this amount of THC, which all seeds have below that amount of THC. So I think you could still argue that. And, and that's the core of what I'm saying. They have 0% THC always. Of the, of the definition of hemp. Okay. For, for what it's worth, I've always thought that that's kind of a silly definition of hemp. I mean, I, I enjoy this sort of loophole that it's created for the seed market and for sending clones and other things like that. But 
No, it, but it, it's it not just—it's it, not just the seed market. It's—it's it's all the derivatives. It's all the cannabinoids. It, it basically redefines it so that all the the loopholes are canceled. They're, they're going just like with like LSD and then all, all the animal all the legal things. products that you see on the market now that are there because of loopholes will be gone. Yeah, the THC extracted from hemp because it's 0.01%. You get enough 0.01%, then you get a substantial amount of THC. So they the could THC sell that is, legally. Yeah, yeah. So now obviously they're gonna do away with that. They're gonna do away with lots of delta eight. into THC eight, yeah, and all that jazz. The THC percentage has always been regulated, and that's really if they're going to regulate something, that's what they need to regulate. And seeds don't have a TAC percentage. Uh, yeah, Honestly. I get it, Spartan. But I mean, they're regulating sort of the type of plant, and it's sort of a, a function regulating of what might stage, happen. As opposed, to, let's just let, let's just pretend for a second that we agreed that this stuff should be regulated, right? When you come at it from that perspective, like we're really biased. Like we don't want cannabis to be regulated, but. The fact that we're depending on, well, it hasn't grown up yet. That's why it's still testing below this is a loophole. I mean, that's kind of the, the definition of a loophole. Yeah, uh, and there's I, lots of loopholes. I guess in the my system, argument but... was, my argument was, was the substance that they have an issue with isn't with cannabis. The substance they have an issue with is THC because it's psychoactive. And if that is truth, then they should be able to regulate THC and not the plant. Right. But sending seeds around, for example, distributes the ability to create that other regulated thing. So what's wrong uh, with people having freedom? It's the same as like, I'm essentially they regulate pseudofed to but stop I'm people saying, like, from, the perspective, <laughs> from making well, agree with the regulation, which obviously we don't. It's not a very good regulation. Like, so the people that do agree with this, it's got a huge, weird loophole that people that have exploited and entire industries have grown up in that that's not the way good regulations should work. I just um, say, don't let anybody know what the hell you're doing. Done. Hemp seed, <laughs> hemp seed yes. is already supposed to be regulated in this way. If you are a, a commercial hemp grower and you purchase a lot of seeds from a hemp distributor, they say these seeds will produce 0.3 THC or less in a given environment. Like they'll say from like this latitude to that latitude or in the state of Georgia or the state of Kentucky. But they, they can't just say... They can't just say everywhere like Oregon CBD had an, an issue where they were selling stuff that in Florida was testing hot. So it, they have to test it in different markets because the closer you get to the equator, the harder it is to grow hemp. It's really fucking hard to grow hemp in Jamaica because of the environment and stuff like that, even if it's bred a certain way, the THC, because of the environments that it's grown in, tends to get a little bit higher. It's not, I'm not saying it's like 20%. It might be 1%. It might be 1.3 or 1.5 but it's higher than the 0.3, which is just an arbitrary government mandate. Like a lot of the other fucking old arbitrary mandates and regulations. Cannabis sativa L is both hemp and high THC cannabis. They're both the exact same, you know, plant species. Right. The delineation is based on breeding. It's based on years and, and centuries of us making selection for fiber plant, for seed plant, for hemp, and now for medicinal hemp, the high CBD varieties. But we've also done the same thing on the THC side and now like the high terpene side and things like that. So it's, uh, I don't know. I, my, the, I, my point here is we actually want better regulations than this. We don't want the entire seed industry to exist in sort of a regulatory loophole. It would be better if there was some sort of actual sort of regulation that allowed people to, to send those through or D 
regulate the things that don't allow people to send this through. But saying, you know, because of, of this, the problem is we're not going to get a better regulation. We're going to get a worse regulation. But the one we have right now is pretty ad hoc. It's it's a, a strange sort of artifact of the farm bill that seed sending seeds around the country suddenly became legal. And it, it it's not surprising that somebody wants to sort of regulate that. It was either unintentional or a deliberate loophole. So like whatever way it's looked at, it was it's now being taken advantage of or exploited. And a lot of the times with like tax law, they leave shit like this for ultra rich people that if I can get away from paying as much taxes as a general person would and things like that. So there's loopholes in all types of laws across all types of industries. So this wouldn't be unique. But Spartan Grown, we've kept you three minutes past your normal time. So I want to pass it back to you to get final thoughts and shout outs before you get running over to the Michigan Bros Grow Show. Oh, you know my final thoughts. I'm just gonna say keep growing. To piss whatever belt says, <laughs> and and uh, you know, and have fun doing it. So I think I'll just leave it with that. I'm headed over to the Mission Bros Grow Show, and uh, that's starting in about 12 minutes. Uh, you can catch me there next. Otherwise, you can catch me on Instagram or at SpartanGrowing at gmail.com. Cheers, Peace guys. Out, have a good one. Keep growing. <laughs> keep growing, bro. Awesome. awesome having you, Spartan. Thank Girl you. Love Spartan. Doing great work at the Capitol over there. Lansing, but great stuff. Does anybody know LG? We had a recent debacle with uh, Subcool's anniversary stream, unfortunately, over on Eagles channel with a very, very, very terrible troll that came in and was like streaming stuff that would get you banned off of YouTube. So, like, we definitely don't want to let just some random person come in. So, LG, I'm really sorry. Like, I don't recognize that name. Does anybody else recognize? I, I DM'd earlier I've in the chat. I've seen an LG, Who's capital LG? L, capital G. I've seen them in chats. Okay, I just see big Gosh L, little G. Uh, I don't know then, but... It might be the same LG. I'm just being very uh, yeah, be cautious, cautious right now. I'm sorry, LG, if you're out there listening and you're like, damn it, let me in. You've had me on before. I think I have had you on we before. Might <laughs> Yeah, LG's in LG's the chat saying... now. I see LG chatting. But thanks, Spartan. Good luck. Okay, LG. Yeah. I'm gonna. Here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna spotlight myself, and I'm gonna mute you upon entry. And then once I start seeing that you're a legitimate person, which I think that you are, I will uh, go ahead and. All right. Like I said, this is just a precautionary measure. I'm very sorry, people. If you saw what I saw on a few other channels, you would know exactly yeah. why. Thanks for keeping us safe over here, Jack. Your, your eyes would thank me, and so would your ears. Because, uh, yeah. yeah. LG is joining now. So, cheers to you, LG. And everybody can look at the birthday boy for a little bit. XYZ Vector, I do know you as well. All righty. Admit. LG, you are in. LG is in the house. How you doing, LG? See XYZ Vector. Looks like you're loading in still. LG, are you with us? I think that they're still loading in. because uh, all I can see is that they don't have video going, but there's not even a microphone. Oh no so. sound, yeah, nothing. Yeah. And I didn't like actually mute them yet. I was waiting to like potentially <laughs> have to come on in. We got a, a what I call a government name trying to join right now. This is a somebody's like something that you'd see on their driver's license. So I'm not even going to read it. Uh, but JJ would be the initials. So if you're a JJ trying to join, it might be your government name. I don't know if that's the name that you use in the chat. I don't recognize it. You just jumped out really quickly. So I'm assuming that uh, 
it was that indeed. An accident. Yeah. <laughs> I don't like exposing or doxing people unintentionally on this show. Uh, it's happened a couple times, but just for brief seconds, people like show their face and they like, you oh. know, cover up the camera or whatever. But ultimately, we've got a really cool crowd, usually about the same hundred live with us, and then about a thousand or so on the YouTube afterward, and a thousand on the podcast as well. But all really good people for the most part. Uh, I have no beef with anybody. A lot of really great people in this community. We're very blessed and fortunate. But I'll unspotlight myself now because nobody uh, has yeah, said nobody's anything. Doing anything. XYZ, XYZ Vector. Vector either. Hey, I just want to say happy birthday, man. All right. That's all. Thank you, sir. I got nothing else to add to the conversation right now. <laughs> I'll, I'll give you guys I'm this. Sitting, I'm between 18 and, and 80. There you go. <laughs> not going to ask your age. That's not cool. No, I'm kidding. The winner will re- receive a pack of XYZ. Yeah, like a yeah, yeah, it's some brisket. You'll get heart, that heart looks heart. good, man. I, I was wondering what that was. I couldn't highlight. My vegan friends will be mad, but uh, I do enjoy some brisket. Oh, no, it's all good. Did you make this yourself? Homemade? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yo. You guys realize, so the cow is a veg- eats all the vegetation for us. It's like a, he does the work for us, and then we eat. You know, that's that's all that is. So that's where really you get your vegans. greens? Yeah, you that's how I get from my the greens. I get, yeah, it goes through. I'm pretty sure uh, that's not how it works out. But, yeah. no, but hey, I get some great uh, rationale for anything you guys want to do. I can fix it for you. Trust You're me. You're on the, the carnivore diet, apparently. I should have been a lawyer. And the cow's got to eat at least 20 <laughs> calories worth of those veggies to give you one calorie of meat. At least. Yes. That's like yeah, a really, really least. efficient system. Oh, oh I'd give you some stats well, on though. cows if you want to hear it. Yeah. <laughs> it's better they're if you're ranging on Very grass than you. factory farmed, right? But there, there's differences, just like with growing. Like you could grow with a bunch of pesticides and bullshit and spray it with nasty chemicals, or you can grow it at home organically and, and treat it right. Uh, same with cattle like they can be free-ranging across organic green pastures and you live in a happy healthy life and you know producing whatever they end up producing whether it's milk or meat uh, but yeah. or... all things the same eating lower on the food chain so eating plants instead of eating animals that eat plants and eating plant animals that eat plants instead of eating animals that eat other animals um, eating lower on the food chain is the number one thing all of us could do to reduce our, our impact on the planet in terms of the amount of carbon that we release, in terms of the amount of energy that we release. So regardless of how the meat is sourced Whoa. or whatever, just in terms of raw energy in, energy out, that's absolutely the thing we can do. I mean, I still eat meat, so I'm not I'm not trying to preach, but it's it's definitely not. It's just physics. Good. Like you say, Dr. Coco, you can't, che- you can't cheat physics. It's just the trophic levels. It's basic ecology. And it, well, at the same time, I'll say I do eat like uh, two out of my three meals a day are are vegetarian or vegan. I just go like meat at the final meal of the day is kind of how I've approached it just from a health standpoint. I think it works better for my system, but and also just financial standpoint, also trying to get enough fruit and veggies and stuff like that. If you're eating meat in every mm-hmm. single meal is difficult. So I feel like uh, by not having meat in the first two meals, I eat a lot more of the healthy foods that I'm supposed to be eating, like uh, you know, broccolis and fucking carrots and apples and all that shit. Uh, also, but- one of the reasons I liked going back uh, from uh, my trip is that, um, yeah, the portions were small and, you know, I don't eat a whole ton, but uh, 
yeah, I definitely feel like, uh, I don't feel like, I, I feel like I get a good amount for the money. And I know that probably sounds like blasphemy to most of our viewers in North America. Um, but yeah, coming back, I mean, also we use more resources. So there's a conversation to be had about that. But yeah. A I lot mean, of it's wasted. I walk past so many that's, restaurants that's and also half true. the plate that's also true. just gets tossed, man. It's like they yeah, eat one half the sandwich and a little bit of the fries or whatever, and you just walk by and it's like it just gets thrown away. And so, so much the of this food that gets grown isn't even consumed. It's like it's cooked, it's put on the plate, and then it's tossed into the trash. Yeah, that's food waste. That's yeah. just yeah. Lower on the food chain, perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> There's uh, issues with landfills, though. I mean, like, it's not as good as going into like a, a compost bin or a scrap bin or something like that. Like, food into a plastic bag being shipped in a, a garbage truck across town is, is not as good as somebody who can, you know, Bokashi or whatever their input and uh, make it into a gardening input and close that system and close that loop. But obviously, chickens not all even of us better than composts. Yeah, chickens are great for a ton of reasons. And, you know, Black even like the, plant the, and those worked in ask. collaboration. You guys, Brandon showed that little, uh, I think it was Black Soldier 5 larva uh, thing that he was generating them. And then they yeah, basically the fall generator. out and then be essentially fed right to the chicken. So dual purpose. Yeah, it's chicken and fowl meat better uh, for on the food chain there, Doc? Because I like turkey, oh, man. Turkey's one of my favorites. It, it ultimately depends on what they're eating and, you know, how much energy goes in their production. One of the big things can, can be just simply how far it had to travel to get to you. I mean, in terms of how much energy is in the food that we eat. I'll say this. So cricket you flour, yes difference. or no? Cricket flour, yeah, chapeline. Hey, well, that's different. Chapulinus is good. You can tell, though, the difference between a happy chicken though. and an unhappy chicken just by looking at the fucking egg. Like the yolk dark fucking orange versus it's like i grew face, up right i grew up on a pale fucking yellow i hate to <laughs> knock them because they're they serve a purpose but walmart the cheapest egg at walmart that's what my family got and it was like a pale fucking yellow and now i'm eating like what's the happy egg brand and they give the chickens enough space they feed them a, a certain diet and the type that i get is like the heritage they're blue eggs and brown eggs that are spotted it's like not your typical egg right. that you see at the grocery store they're a lot more expensive but they're double the fucking nutrition. They're, they've been doing studies side by side versus the cheaper ones. And they literally have twice as much nutrition or more in some cases. Plus, it just tastes so much better. I'm like, I had a great connect that had uh, chickens and uh, would, uh, would would trade, would barter for uh, figs and other sorts of things. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's right, it were, definitely yeah. corroborates my personal experience. Keep it local. <laughs> and if you can get a good source like that, and even like if you can't, like, they sell happy eggs at Walmart, uh, the yellow carton or whatever that there's still good. But I would say that if you can find those blue ones, if you can afford them, fucking they're great. But we only got two minutes. No. Left, so I'm going to kick it around the panel uh, to uh, I'm going to change it up and go with the uh, XYZ vector. Actually, I guess I'll go with my guest first this evening. Well, hey, however you get your eggs, it's, it's all about how they get there, because that adds so much more CO2 to the process. And that's all I got to say. That last step of the chain makes a big difference. But uh, I think we lost LG. They never were able to come on and say anything. I'll pass it uh, first to Dr. MJ Coco for his final thoughts and shout out tonight. Hey, yeah, I had fun. I apparently got under some people's skin in the chat, but grow love to everybody. Um, you know, I had a few things written down here. Um, one thing, I guess on the seed thing, I just think the regulation should be that we can send seeds around. I think that should be like an explicit law instead of like, 
us getting through this sort of loophole that like, well, seeds technically have less than X percentage of, of THC. Um, anyways, I do the Ask Dr. Coco show every Monday night. You can check that out for my Patreon subscribers. Check me out on Patreon. We got a new prize for the Grower Love giveaway in October. We got uh, a new light I'm reviewing now, actually, which is an interesting, it's going to be an interesting review. It'll be out in about a week. Um, it's the Cultiwana CT800. Um, pulls about 760 watts. Pretty big light. I've enjoyed sort of thinking through what value means when we go to buy grow lights. Because um, this one is really good price, but not as good performance. So how do you how do you kind of balance price versus performance? So check out that, that video. I've been thinking a lot about what value means for us when we're buying a light. Um, that'll be coming up probably next weekend. Um, yeah, I, I had a lot of fun. So I enjoyed these topics. Hopefully people didn't get, get too upset with anything. And um, much grower love to everybody out there. All good, Doc. I think that you do a good job of uh, presenting a well-informed perspective and, and that it, you're realistic in the fact that Although, yeah, this loophole is great. We are all enjoying sending seeds legally to each other in the U.S. I'm currently you know, doing it with anybody in the U.S. who wants them. Um, but I would agree with you that it'd be better to create a regulation that says it is legal to send them, not, oh, it's legal because they happen to fall under a categorization of hemp, which because right. they have zero THC, they're under 0 0.3. And you know that's open to a reinterpretation of if it gets grown out and has above 0 0.3, then it's not hemp seed. Exactly. And then they get shut down. So the loopholes are easier to close than writing into law saying every American should be able to send cannabis seed, whether it's hemp or high THC varieties to whoever. And then if they're in a place, like you're allowed to have it for uh, exotic uh, bird feed, you're allowed to have it for fishing lure, and you're allowed to have it for collectible reasons. So there's already three reasons that you can send it and, and have it around, but you have to give the stipulation, check your local laws before you grow it in your area. Because if it's illegal in like say Texas and you send somebody some high THC variety and say, oh, it's hemp. And then they grow it out and it's not hemp. You get yourself fucked and you get them fucked. So there's uh, reasons to look deeper into those types of things. So with that said, I want to uh, kick it over next to Brandon Russ. What's going on? Um, I'll see you guys next weekend. Uh, you guys can check me out on Wednesdays uh 11 western 1 p.m central 2 p.m eastern for lunchbox learning it is just a little quick 30 minute educational podcast i'm gonna do on future cannabis project and you can also uh check out the relaunch website wakashieearthworks.net or .com doesn't matter which one you go to um and uh yeah everything's all organized on there and it's free shipping for everything so it's Pretty cool. We're going to be adding new seed breeders on there uh, soon as well. And I think we're going to be opening up uh, shipping to Canada for seeds, UK and Australia. Cool stuff. Well, I've had great experiences on the old website and I look forward to using the new website. Uh, if it is improved, I mean, it was already working well, so it's uh, got to be great now. So excited for you with all that and uh, excited for the people of Canada and other places with the seed opportunities opening up there. So thank you so much, Brandon. And next up, we've got Matthew Gates. What's up? Yeah, hey everyone. This was a pretty cool chat. I have to say I'm glad that I'm back. And uh, yeah, I thought that we had some pretty cool IPM questions too. I would like to get more of them uh, anytime. And if you do have more questions, you can do a few things about that. You can check me out at my Patreon at zenthanol.com. Or sorry, well, you can find it there too, but zenthanol at Patreon. 
You also find my personal account at Sync Angel, where I do a lot of musings, and I'll be posting some recent research about cannabis pests that have come out about recit mites, and also for budworm moths. And uh, I'll be posting some videos about that on my YouTube channel, Zenthanol, the same one that I am in chat in. And for professional inquiries, you can always check me out at zenthanol.com. So yeah, and I, in fact, I have uh, potentially something going on. I might be in uh, Maryland sometime soon. So yeah, just as a heads up for anyone in Maryland, if you want to hang out or something like that, we might be able to make it work, although my schedules are usually tight. So anyways, um, yeah, growers love. I'll be on the lookout and now that people know where they can find you and uh, look forward to more of your travels and getting to hear about the stories of uh, you meeting the people across the world. It's always uh, exciting hearing about the adventures and uh, spreading the, the knowledge and all that good stuff. So next up, we've got Noah, the grower. Yeah, I had a fun time today with everybody. Um, I'm Noah, the grower with two E's on Instagram. You can find me there. I'll see you next week. Great having you as always, Noah. And last and certainly not least of our panelists this evening, we've got the American one. Yes, I am the American one. And uh, yeah, I just want to warn everyone that if they get their way, we'll be feeding from the uh, feed maker that, Brand, Russ, that Brandon Russ made for his chickens. So don't let them have yes. their way. I'm not eating grubs the rest of my life. Oh, boy. Yeah. Anyway, meat grubs is good. Great. Meat is good, man. The cow is for eating. I don't know about the pig because every religion says you shouldn't eat the pig, right? But bacon tastes but bacon so good. Bacon is so fucking good. Uh, that's yeah, the I only mean... part, though. I don't know, man. And maybe <laughs> I had like uh, pork loin a couple times that was good, but yeah, there's got to be something to it. Like every religion, right? Oh. Is like no pig for you. But not every religion, maybe they're all wrong, the just ones. like a lot of other things that they might. Anyway, you know how to cook them right. I think that's the difference. Religion. <laughs> you had me a bacon. You had wow. me a bacon. <laughs> yeah. I just set off everything and everyone. All right, everyone, have a great week. And uh, I love you all. We'll talk to you later. Grows love. Peace. I'm going to go eat a bacon birthday cake for my birthday. Uh, you can find me at Jack Greenstock on Instagram. I almost never post there anymore. Jack underscore Greenstock is my backup account because I was worried that they would delete my account for making cannabis related posts uh, as I do to a lot of other people. But uh, I just don't use Instagram a lot. The stuff getting taken down all the time is frustrating. Uh, I post on X now. I guess it used to be called Twitter. Uh, now it's called X. But yeah, that's where I post my cannabis stuff. Jack underscore Greenstock there. If you want to find my book, 50 Strains of Green, 50strains.com. And if you want some seeds, like we're talking about the hemp farm bill I'm taking advantage of and uh, hooking up America who would like some, you can go to 50strains.com for that as well. But uh, Jack Greenstock signing out. Peace and love, y'all. Catch you all next week. And I hope you have a great rest of your day.